belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for June 18th, 2023 is called, What to White People is Juneteenth? The speaker is Lowell Taylor, and the location is Miller Hall, Mount Sequoia, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I'm happy to be here with you all. Um, I'm especially happy uh, for the little ones and, and their contributions to today's service. Uh, I'll introduce myself shortly, but I have uh, three small children, uh, so I, I understand. It's a zoo at my house, and so uh, happy to be here with you all today. Uh, can I pray? Is that okay? Okay, let's pray. God, you have told us what is good and what you want from us, for us. Uh, You said you want us to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with you. Holy Spirit, will you you help us to do what you told us to do, uh, to be who you told us to be. We, we cannot do anything good without your help. Um, God, would you bless, keep, make your face shine on my friends, my brothers, my sisters, Grace Church. Um, I ask that for me too. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said? There you go. There you go. Okay, um, I'm, I'm here to teach more than preach, and as such, I have an outline. I like a good outline. So today, we're going to talk about four things. First, who, who am I? Second, we're going to talk some theory, three practice for how you can join us. And then I've listed my website. Now, these, these letters are small, so you may not be able to see them in the back. You'll get an email to you later, but that says reparationsnownwa.com. And so if you're a multitasker, you know, you, you like to browse the internet during service, then maybe maybe go there, okay? Uh, so let's see. In a speech given to a group of white women on July 5th, 1852, called What to the slave is the 4th of July? Frederick Douglass said that the 4th of July was not for him because it represented freedom for white, not black people. Douglass said, fellow citizens, pardon me. Allow me to ask, why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence extended to us? Such is not the state of the case. I say it with a sad sense of the disparity between us. I am not included within the pale of glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight 
that brought light and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. So today is Father's Day. Tomorrow is Juneteenth. And I've been asked to speak to, speak to a group of, of mostly white folks about reparations. The R word. Before I do so, I want to address a feeling you may have that neither Juneteenth nor reparations are for us, white folks, because both represent freedom for black, not white people. Juneteenth celebrates freedom for black people from slavery and reparations requires payment to black people for slavery and other injustices. So what to white people who have never been enslaved is Juneteenth? What to white people are reparations? Today's text is Exodus 14, 13 to 14, in which Moses tells the Jews that they will see God's salvation. Another word for salvation is freedom. And in John 8, Jesus spoke to a group of Jews about freedom. And the Jews said, we don't need it because we've never been enslaved. Jesus said, you, you do need it because you've been enslaved by lies. In John 8, 32, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Like the Jews, many of us need freedom because we have been enslaved by lies about America, blackness, whiteness, and Jesus. I believe that both Juneteenth and reparations are for us because they invite us to know the truth and to be set free by it. So today I want to discuss reparations in the church in Northwest Arkansas. In the next few minutes, I want to share first who I am. Second, the theory of reparations is outlined by Quan and Thompson in their book, Reparations, a Christian Call for Repentance and Repair. Three, how I have practiced reparations with others in Northwest Arkansas. And four, how you all at Grace can join us. And then I hope to have some time for Q&A if you have any questions or comments. Okay, we good so far? Y'all with me? Okay, so as you know, as I said, my name is Lowell Taylor. Um, as I told some of y'all uh, as before service, I was born and raised in Little Rock and I came to Northwest Arkansas for college and stayed. I have a wife, Rebecca, and three children. Titus is six, Josiah is four, and Emma is two. I work at a company called The Harvest Group. I study at Fuller Seminary, online, part-time. I worship at St. James Church in Fayetteville. I like to read and run, not fast or far, but I like to run. And I'm on a journey toward racial justice. I find it helpful to liken the journey toward racial justice to running a long race. Today I want to say that many of you are running a long race toward racial justice. And we need each other to run it well. I also want to say that I don't see or want to see you all as competitors. I'm not here to win. Or customers. I'm not here to sell. But as collaborators. I, I, I'd like to be friends uh, and fellow good troublemakers, as John Lewis said. So as we discuss 
reparations. I hope that you feel both exhorted and invited to run the long race toward racial justice together and well. Okay, so let's talk some theory. Uh, we'll discuss the theory of reparations in four parts. Racism, white supremacy, the church, and reparations, okay? First, racism. Have you ever misunderstood a problem and therefore made it worse? Anyone? Yeah, I have. Uh, as a husband, I sometimes misunderstand what my wife wants and make our marriage worse. Anyone else? Any other husbands? Once or twice? Yeah. So unfortunately, white Christians have misunderstood racism, and we have made it worse. We can see racism in concentric circles. Racism is an individual problem that requires repentance. It's an interpersonal problem that requires reconciliation, an institutional problem that requires reform, and a cultural problem, white supremacy that requires reparations. Unfortunately, studies show that white Christians have a narrow view of racism. We see it as an individual and interpersonal problem, so we support repentance and reconciliation but we do not see it as an institutional or a cultural problem, so we oppose reform and reparations. So we need to widen our view of racism. A question for your table fellowships, your small groups later is, how have you or your community seen racism? Okay. Second, white supremacy. Have you ever understood a problem, but because you did not want to address it, you acted like you did not know how to? Sometimes, my, my son, I'm thinking of my four-year-old Josiah, he understands what I want him to do, but because he does not want to do it, he acts like he did not hear me. He asks, what did you say? I do this too, but I'm picking on my son. So, White supremacy is not hard to understand, but it may be hard to hear. So hang with me. White supremacy can be understood as a belief that white people and culture are best that is used to excuse a behavior, the theft of truth, wealth, and power from black people. White supremacy has stolen truth by romanticization and erasure. Romanticization and erasure. By romanticization, we mean that American history is told from white perspectives and that episodes that honor white people are emphasized. By erasure, we mean that American history is not told from black perspectives and that episodes that dishonor white people are de-emphasized. So there's evidence of theft of truth in our country and community. While there are many monuments that honor the Confederacy, which was built by white supremacist theft, there are few monuments that honor the black people who were stolen from. The Equal Justice Initiatives, whose calendars we have in the lobby, and I, I invite you all to take one, 
EJI reports that in America, there are about 2,000 Confederate monuments. And there were about 4,000 racial terror lynchings from about 1870 to about 1950. In Arkansas, there are about 50 Confederate monuments and there were about 500 racial terror lynchings. So we've talked about theft of truth, romanticization, and erasure. White supremacy has stolen wealth by extraction and obstruction. Extraction and obstruction. By extraction, we mean that when black people have built wealth, it has been taken from them by white supremacist systems. Slavery is the best example. Enslaved black people not only built wealth for white people, they were wealth of white people. In 1860, enslaved black people were the single greatest asset in the American economy, worth more than all other assets combined. By obstruction, we mean that help given to white people to build wealth, the Homestead Act and FHA-backed mortgages, for example, has not been given to black people. And when black people have built wealth, it has been met, met with white violence. The massacres of black people in Elaine, Arkansas in 1919, and Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921, for example. And there is evidence of theft of wealth in our country and community. In both America and Arkansas, the average black household has about 60% of the income of the average white household. Okay, so we've, talking about, we've talked about theft of truth, theft of wealth, theft of power. White supremacy has stolen personal and political power. By personal, we mean that the agency of black people over their bodies has been suppressed by white supremacist systems such as slavery, Jim Crow, and the new Jim Crow mass incarceration. By political, we mean that the agency of black people over the body politic has also been suppressed by white supremacist systems. And, and there's evidence of theft of power in our country and community. America has the highest incarceration rate in the world. And black people are five times as likely as white people to be incarcerated in our country. Arkansas has the fifth highest incarceration rate in the country, and black people are four times as likely as white people to be incarcerated in our state. So a question for your table fellowships, your small groups later is, what evidence of white supremacist theft do you see in our community? Third, the white American church has been complicit in white supremacy. By complicit, we mean that the white American church has actively and passively supported white supremacist systems. In this context, the first ethic of the church is restitution. We are culpable for the theft of white supremacy, and like Zacchaeus in Luke 19, we are called to return what we have stolen. The second ethic of the church is restoration. Like the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, we're called to restore to wholeness those who have been stolen from. So a question for your table fellowships later is, do you see the ethics of restitution and restoration in Luke 10 and 19? I invite you to read and reflect on those chapters. So fourth and finally for our, our theory part, okay? 
reparations. Reparations is the ethical Christian response to the theft of white supremacy. Said differently, reparations is the fruit that the white American church must bear in keeping with repentance for the theft of white supremacy. Reparations returns truth, wealth, and power to black people by naming lies and telling the truth, enabling black wealth and sharing white wealth, and enabling and submitting to black leadership. So a question for your table fellowships later is, if you or you all practice reparations, what do you hope or fear will happen? Okay. So that's, that's all for theory. Y'all still with me? Y'all still here? Okay. Yeah, this is some heavy stuff. Um, did y'all read the Chronicles of Narnia? Aslan isn't safe, but he's good. That's how I feel about this conversation. Uh, it's not safe, but it's good. It's not easy, uh, but it's good. So let's, let's talk about practice. And, and I want to talk about how I have practiced reparations with others in Northwest Arkansas in three parts. So we did theory in four parts. We're going to do practice in three parts. Past, present, future. Okay? So first, the past. Uh, in the spring of 2020, I met Greg Thompson, who co-wrote uh, the book Reparations, A Christian Call for Repentance and Repair. So I met Greg in the spring of 2020, and he helped me understand the theory of reparations, which I've just outlined for you all briefly. Then in the summer of 2020, you all may remember, George Floyd died. He was murdered. My pastor started NWA United, a group of black and white pastors who committed to be united in the gospel against racism for justice. There was a press conference, t-shirts, and a website, nwaunited.org. Then in the fall of 2020, I met Jamar Tisby, who helped me practice reparations. Jamar started the Witness Foundation to fund black Christian leaders. I started Reparations Now NWA to support black Christian leaders in Northwest Arkansas by sponsoring fellows from Northwest Arkansas with the Witness Foundation. I asked the white pastors who joined NWA United and other white people to give to the Witness Foundation. Some said yes, and we raised $100,000 for two fellows from Northwest Arkansas, who you may know, Joy McGowan and Monique Jones, who each received $50,000. So that's, that's the past, okay? Second, the present. In 2022, as Betty mentioned, I started the R Word podcast and events to talk about reparations in the church in Northwest Arkansas. In the summer of 2022, I interviewed Greg Thompson, Jamar Tisby, and local black leaders on the podcast. In the fall of 2022, Jamar spoke at the Fayetteville Public Library, and in the spring of 2023, Greg spoke at the library, and we continued the podcast, which I am co-hosting with a friend that you may know, Dustin McGowan. We're releasing one episode per month, and we're hosting two events this fall. 
uh, reading and discussion of the book Reparations in September and October, hosted by your own, Betty Wilton, and a viewing and discussion of the film The Big Payback, which is about reparations. More information about the R Word podcast and events is on our website, reparationsnownwa.com. Third, the future. In 2023, I gathered a small group of local black and white leaders to talk about how we want to practice reparations in Northwest Arkansas. Unfortunately, we cannot continue to work with the Witness Foundation because they're in a season of change as an organization and they're not funding black Christian leaders now. So in 2024, I want Reparations Now NWA to be a movement of people working for racial healing and reparations in Northwest Arkansas. I want us to repair truth by educating white people and churches in Northwest Arkansas, to repair wealth by investing in black-led nonprofits in Northwest Arkansas, and to repair power by asking local black leaders to control or direct our investments. Okay, so we've done who I am, theory, practice, how you all at Grace can join us. So Greg has said that reparations requires both a debt to be repaid and a world to be repaired. So this means that there are many ways to practice reparations. And importantly, my way is a way, not the way, to practice reparations. But with that said, I see two ways that you all at Grace can join us, one now and the other later. So the first way is to educate yourselves by listening to the R Word podcast, attending the R Word events, and scheduling a reparations conversation with me if you want to. I always enjoy talking about reparations in the church with folks. Okay, so that's the first way. Uh, and you can do that now. Admittedly, there are other ways to educate yourself, but that's, that's one way. Uh, the R Word podcast and events. The second way later is to invest in um, what I believe we will call the Zacchaeus Fund, named for Zacchaeus who returned what he had stolen. Invest in the Zacchaeus Fund for black-led nonprofits in Northwest Arkansas. I want to work with others to start the fund next year in 2024, at which time we will ask white people and churches to give. So uh, we made it through the outline. Uh, thank you all for the opportunity to share what I'm learning with you all. Um, I'm really happy to, to be here among you. Um, and I welcome any questions, comments, concerns that you have, uh, if you want to share them now. Um, I especially welcome questions like, uh, or comments like, I, I didn't understand this, or I disagree with that. Um, I, I welcome those uh, if, if you care to share them. If not, that's no problem, and we can move on to whatever's next. So any questions, comments? Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, I agree. I think that... Um, Dr. Christina Edmondson, who I interviewed on the podcast most recently, when I asked her for advice, uh, she said, learn in community. And she quoted an African proverb, which says, uh, if you want to go fast, uh, go alone. 
but if you want to go far, go with others. And so I think we have an opportunity to do that in our community collectively. Um, I've had opportunities to have conversations like this with uh, other churches. And so I think there's an opportunity for us as a wider Christian community and a wider community with other than Christian friends and neighbors to try to um, repair um, our community, to practice that. Response from whom? Are you asking about black church? So I'm learning a lot um, about, and, and I want to be careful. Um, when I started this process, Teresa, I had very few black friends. Um, in the last few years, I've met more black folks um, who have been kind to, to be my friends and to discuss these things with me. And um, I have learned, among other things, that the, the black, black community is not monolithic in the same way that any other community is not monolithic. And that there are, you know, we, we have interracial um, differences and intra-racial differences. Um, I will say, I think you, you were referring to the conversation in the summer of 22. Um, I have been in conversation with a few black folks who I don't I don't think you know they don't claim to be representative of the black community so I think that's what I'm trying to sort of communicate um, but but the few black folks with whom I'm in conversation about this stuff um, have been generally supportive and I'm still I'm in a process Teresa of discerning um, I mentioned that small group of folks that I'm meeting with. So just full transparency. Um, there's 12 of us. We meet every other month. And we have uh, for, we started meeting in, really in, in January of this year. And so with that small group, I'm trying to discern and, and really looking primarily, if not exclusively, at my, my six black friends and asking them, um, if we raised money from white people and white churches, what would you want to do with it? And I'm looking primarily at my, my five, because I'm one of the six white folks, and asking, what, what would it look like to educate, um, and these are leaders largely, you know, sort of your followers, the people over whom you have influence, what would it look like to educate them such that this investment made sense to them. And if they're a pastor, you know, preferably that pastor kept their job, <laughs> you know? So, so how do we, how do we as a community live into an alternative to what you just described, which is um, we as white people talk about racial reconciliation and how we want to be friends with black people. But we don't really talk about racial justice. We don't really talk about systems. We don't really talk about mass incarceration. We don't really talk about the black-white wealth gap. We have something to say when somebody gets shot. And that's about it. 
because all of that, um, it's really low risk for us. It really doesn't cost me anything to do any of that. It's really low benefit for, well, really anybody, black, white, or whomever. Um, I can go on, but I won't. Thank you for that question. Does it, is that does that help? Is that a helpful answer, Teresa? Yeah. Yeah. Did everybody hear the question? No. Okay. So I think the question, Jennifer, if I understood it, is we or you, me, whomever we is, uh, have a tendency to want to set a goal, achieve the goal, and then go live our lives. Is that essentially it? Move on. So how do we combat that? Yeah, how does that fit or not fit? So I think there's a couple ways to think about that. Well, let me first say this. I joke that I know what my foot tastes like because I put it in my mouth enough. And it's really true and it doesn't taste very good. Uh, so that is absolutely how I live my life. In, in part because I'm a type A. I like tasks and to-dos and goals. And so I got to interview Dr. William Darity who wrote a book called um, From Here to Equality about reparations. He's been writing about reparations longer than I've been alive. Uh, I was born in 88, and in the interview, he, you know, I was like, tell me about your journey. He's like, well, I started writing about this in like 85 or something. I was like, okay, <laughs> so, so you know more than I do about this. Uh, but the title of his book is provocative um, because it suggests that, that there is a goal. And that goal is equality. And so I, I mentioned several evidences of white supremacist theft in our country and community. And so I think one way to answer that question, Jennifer, is that we, we do have goals. And to put it in the context of how we tend to see racism, we white folks, reconciliation is important but insufficient because it will not get us from here to equality. So I think we, we do have goals. We, we want, well, to treat people how we want to be treated. We want to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so what, what I want for me is what I want for you, and that is equality. I, I want you to have the good that I have, the opportunities that I have. Um, and so I think that it is, it is appropriate to enter this conversation with this, this work with some goals. However, we're talking about at least 400 years of theft, depending on who you ask more. So we've got a long way to go from here to equality. Darity estimates, if we were to really, if we were to close the black-white wealth gap, and he thinks it can be done, the federal government would spend in the neighborhood of $14 trillion. That's what he says the price tag is. I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> if you do, call me. Uh, and so this is where it's helpful, you know, Greg's language, reparations requires both a debt to be repaid and a world to be repaired. Now, somewhere I read, we know a guy who's making all things new. Uh, and that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Colossians 1, 2 Corinthians 5, I think. Revelation something. Right? It's funny. Um, 
in the book about reparations, in the chapter about the church, one of uh, James Foreman's contemporaries, James Foreman wrote the Black Manifesto. He delivered it at Riverside Church in 1969. There was a demand for reparations, and he went into this big church in New York City in uh, 1969. He interrupted the music. He walked down the front row. He took the pulpit, and he made his, his list of demands. Half the church left. <laughs> but a contemporary of his, when asked, why'd you single out the church? He said, only, only the church is in the business of, I think he said, salvation, restoration, new life. General Motors has never made such a claim. Nobody else is in the business of rest, restoration and restitution because it's, it's not profitable. <laughs> Right, And so as the church, we have the opportunity to own, as Jamar says, our history of, of complicity. He wrote a book called The Color of Compromise to say this is, this is what we've done. Um, but it's not what we ought to have done. It's not, it's not the ethical heritage that we have. And so let's live into those ethics that we espouse. Let's be like Zacchaeus, you know, this wee little man who was uh, big in repentance, right? Is that helpful? Okay. Other questions, comments, concerns? Laura. You're welcome. Good question. The question was, do you have a hope or a vision for how the Zacchaeus Fund would be distributed? Um, Greg, Greg writes, Greg and Duke, I should say, um, reparations requires a conversation between two groups of people, those who owe reparations and those to whom they are owed, and that each group has things to say and not to say. So as a white person, or as Greg says, a person that America deems white, Okay, but as a, as a white person, as a member of that group, um, it is not appropriate for me to dictate how those funds are distributed. So, Laura, if, um, if I stole your car and then you demanded it back in a court of law, this is an illustration they use in the book. And I went before the judge and I said, Judge, Laura's a bad driver. Uh, she's, not, she's not safe behind the wheel, so I should keep her car. And that's silly, right? Why? Because it's your car. And so the moral logic behind reparations is different than behind, we'll say, charity. So the question is, is less about and, and I'm not sensing this in your question, but it, it, I think it's appropriate to, 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 to answer in this way. The question is less about the return on my investment, and it's more about how can I return what has been stolen, what we have stolen. So with that, um, sort of um, theoretical answer, more practically, um, I talked about the past. What a relationship with the Witness Foundation enabled our community to do 
was to move money from white people in white churches to black leaders, Joy and Monique, without white strings attached because the Witness Foundation is a black-led organization. Now, we can't continue to work with them for reasons that I communicated. So what I want to do is find a way to move money from white people in churches to black leaders, Christian and other than Christian, in our community without white strings attached, with black strings attached. Um, and so um, the, the group of leaders that I mentioned that I'm meeting with, you know, um, and this is what I want. We'll see if this is what they want. But I, I hope that, that we can gather a small group of local black leaders who will decide what to do with whatever money we're able to raise from white people and white churches. Um, I think that's possible. Is that helpful? Other questions, comments, concerns? Yeah. How often am I able to get this message out into white churches? Um, I'm in high demand, Beth. <laughs> high demand. Um, well, there's a few ways to answer that question. I, I, I am so thankful for my, my friends at KUAF um, who have given me a, a megaphone into the wider community. They're good people at KUAF, Lee Wood and others. And so I have the opportunity with the podcast to, to talk to whoever listens to KUAF. I don't know how many white church folk listen to KUAF. <laughs> uh, I do. So I have that. We have the event series. I have a relationship with the Fayetteville Public Library. And so they've made their space available to us in the past and um, will continue to do so in October. Uh, when we, we have the community viewing and discussion of the film, The Big Payback. Um, you know, I've, I've made some friends. Um, I have some new Episcopal friends uh, locally who have welcomed me into, into their, their space, their community. Uh, you all, um, a few others. Um, Howard Thurman in Jesus and the Disinherited said the, the price, well, I'll just paraphrase him, I won't quote him. He says, too often the price that the Christian movement has paid for security and respectability is that they're necessarily on the side of the strong against the weak. And so I called the podcast the R word because a church that I was a part of a few years ago, when I asked them to give to the Witness Foundation, they said yes. But they said, please don't associate us publicly with the words reparations or white supremacy. And some may say that's just semantics because they gave the money. But I don't, I don't believe that. I, I believe that 
they did a cost-benefit analysis for their institution, and they chose respectability and security over love of neighbor. And that's wicked. And I don't hate them. Sean and I were talking about, you know, God loved us when we hated him. He calls us to love our enemies. And some of my Christian brothers are not my friends anymore. But God help me, I love them. <laughs> so, is that helpful? Good questions. Any others? What you got, Ollie? <laughs> Thank you for that, Ollie. I appreciate you. The website, reparationsnownwa.com, reparationsnownwa.com. It's not a very good website. It's, it's very simple, the, you know, the design that is, but the information's there. Uh, the, the podcast is The R Word, and you can get it on KUAF.com, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, The R Word. Last call? Okay, if there's no other questions, I'll, I'll close with a comment. Um, which is just thank you for having me here today. Um, I was I was talking with Sean before this, and um, I don't know about y'all, but for me, you know, in the last few years, I've experienced some feelings of sort of homelessness, you know, as a as a person and as a Christian, and like, man, it's a crazy world we're living in, you know, and uh, I have felt alone. Um, especially as I left the church that I was a part of and, you know, some of my friends got pushed out of that boat. I jumped out. Um, and then I found myself sort of swimming in the water in northwest Arkansas and I looked around and I was like, man, there's some good people here. You know? And uh, I'm not alone. And, I mean, God is with me, but but there, there, like, there are people who are with me too. Um, and so just, just by way of having me here, I, I feel that um, welcomed. By you all that I that I belong here, right? Um, and so I'm so so bless you. Thank you. I think that's enough. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.